This is Movies for the Blind, episode 212, The Lazarus Syndrome, part two of two. You know what I hate about this place? You can never slam a door when it most needs slamming. Hello and welcome to Movies for the Blind, where you can enjoy films without looking at a screen. I'm Valerie Hunter. We continue with The Lazarus Syndrome, starring Louis Gossett Jr. It marked a reunion of sorts between him and the man who wrote the screenplay for his breakout role in the miniseries Roots, William Blinn. Blinn won an Emmy for that, and for writing another landmark piece of television, which, like this TV movie, involves the friendship of a black man and a white man, Brian's Song, with Billy D. Williams and James Caan. But Blinn was a success writing and producing many other TV projects of the 70s and 80s, including Starsky and Hutch, Eight is Enough, and Fame. While his movie writing hasn't gotten as much acclaim, he did help pull off the memorable feat of making a movie star out of Prince in Purple Rain. And he was involved when Hollywood made Starsky and Hutch into a movie comedy with Ben Stiller and Owen Wilson. So, the guy knows how to do his buddy stories, though in this one, they're not quite buddies yet. Dr. MacArthur St. Clair, or Mac for short, played by Gossett, has saved the life of newspaper writer Joe Hamill, Ronald Hunter, who has not done his ailing heart any favors by carrying on an affair. He's also gotten Mac in trouble with his boss, Dr. Mendel, by accusing him of popping pills and by suggesting his roommate might not need the bypass Mendel has prescribed for him. So, what could possibly make these two buddies? Let's find out in the conclusion of The Lazarus Syndrome. Soon after, an elevator opens and Mac steps out. The lone nurse at his station looks back with a wave. He walks down a hall with the file Mendel gave him. A balding man reading a newspaper spots him heading for a door. Good evening, doctor. You must be Mr. Dominguez. We met last Thursday. So I'm told. Dominguez stands in front of the door. Uh, what are you doing out here, Mr. Dominguez? I'm reading my newspaper. I mean, what are you doing out here in the hallway? For real? Yes, Mr. Dominguez, for real. He takes Mac aside. Well, if the nurse comes along, I tell her I'm heading for the john, you know? You have a laboratory in your room, Mr. Dominguez. I tell the nurse that Hamill is using it. I gotta go to the bad. Mr. You said your answer was going to be for real. Well, I'm sort of giving my roommate some... Giving him some space, you know. Well, why should Mr. Hamill need some... The door is opened by Joe, whose mistress kisses him as he notices Mac with his roommate. As he keeps looking at them, she turns to them. Mac faces Dominguez, who shrugs. The mistress steps toward them. Um, Dr. Sinclair. Yes. Um, we never met. I'm Denise Racine. Hello. Hello. She glances back at Joe. Uh, listen, I, I want to thank you for setting up this, uh, this visiting privilege for Joe and me. Joe I, rolls his eyes. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Well, I guess I better be going. Yes, I think you better. Again, she looks back at Joe, who nods. Denise leaves. 
Mr. Dominguez, why don't you read your newspaper a little while longer? Joe walks back into the room holding the back of his hospital gown closed, and Mac follows. He starts to slam the door, but stops halfway, and closes it more slowly. Joe leans on a bed table, bracing himself defiantly. You know what I hate about this place? You can never slam a door when it most needs slamming. Now, before you find out what I hate about this place is patients who think they know more than the doctor who's treating them. Patients who think they can diagnose for other patients, too. Are you done? No, no, no. But we are, you and me. You can find yourself another guy, Hamill. I've had a belly full of your antics. Antics? What antics? Oh, we can start with your hit-and-run attack about Mendel being a junkie. Uh-oh. It was no hit-and-run attack, yeah. Doctor. You never followed up. And then you can proceed with your nocturnal visits with Betty Bimbo. Okay, you just hold it right there. I'm not finished yet, Hamill. Next, we're going to talk about the kind of ego it takes to presume to tell that poor man sitting out there in the hallway that Mendel's treatment is not warranted. Okay, let's start then. Now, I got nothing to say to you. Max stalks to the door. You gutless wonder, you owe me 30 seconds. He looks back. Then faces Joe again. You cannot be expected to be taken seriously bringing one of these let your buns hang out outfits. He pulls on a robe. And I very much want you to take what I have to say seriously. Doctor, I have seen enough dope and enough people on dope to know what I'm talking about. Mendel throws down enough greenies to give a possum insomnia. I've seen him do it when he was in here talking with Dominguez. It's pretty dumb of him to do it in front of you, isn't it? A lot of doctors think people who are sick somehow get dumb because of it. Not true. Your doctor Mendel is a speed freak. Check it out. Your 30 seconds are up. Okay. I did not tell Dominguez to scratch the bypass. I told him that he had a right to his second opinion. When he laid that on Mendel, the good doctor came unglued. He really blew his cork. A not uncommon overreaction for those hooked on uppers. Mendel's under a lot of pressure. No, he's not. Dominguez is the one under pressure. He's got a guy who wants to cut him open and put a scalpel to his heart. Now that's pressure, doctor. That is pressure. Joe steps toward him. If you ever call my fiancé a bimbo again, I am going to knock you on your can so hard you will need a plumber to remove the floor tiles. Am I still your patient? Who else would have you? Max smirks and heads for the door. Good night, Max. He looks back. Good night, Joe. Joe smiles a little and nods. And Mac opens the door, where Dominguez stands. Mac steps past him and turns to him. It's all right. It's all right. Mac walks away and through the hall. Later in a hospital office, a woman brings Mac files. Oh, what's this? X-rays of Mr. Dominguez and a videotape of his angiogram. Dr. Mendel said you wanted to look him up. She leaves him holding a folder and a videotape. Says I wanted to look them over. Only if I don't choose to become a veterinarian. Soon after, he loads the tape into a player. 
and gets it running. A black and white image appears of a beating heart in a chest cavity. Mac watches with the doctor he sat by at the meeting in a dark room. The footage ends. Again. Mac rewinds the tape. Then plays it again. Max stops it, and the other doctor turns on the room lights. The tape is ejected. Well? Well, in technical terms, that's not what you'd call a zippity-doo-dah heart. <laughs> Agreed. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Why did you want to consult on this? There's no hidden messages in what I looked at. That guy's in bad shape. Yeah, I know. Don't you think he should have the bypass? Well, after a look at this, nothing else to think. Patting his shoulder, Mac steps toward the door. Mac? He turns back. What'd you need me for? Well, this one is sort of special. Mac leaves. Later, Joe walks outside on the hospital grounds past another patient. With his hands in his robe pockets, he walks with effort. Mac approaches with a cup of coffee. Morning. Morning. They walk together. You know, I figured that you being a newspaper man, a writer, you might want to give me a hand with this apology I'm going to have to deliver to Mendel. I figure you might want to write about something a little bit more interesting than the post-Tibetan cash flow. I mean, we're in this as a sort of a team effort. I figure you might want to pitch in. Joe tries to feel his pulse. I'm dead. No, you're not. Hold this. Mac hands him the cup. You just don't know how to take your own pulse, that's all. Mac does holding the inside of Joe's wrist and checking his watch. That's not bad. He takes the cup back. How long you been at it? Oh, about 10 minutes, I think. Take a break. Nodding. Joe steps to a bench with Mac following. They sit. And as Joe picks up a towel, Mac sips the coffee. How come you're not yelling? He dabs his brow with the towel. What? Well, if you were really steamed, you'd be all over me. But you're acting almost friendly about this thing. Almost. How come? Mac moves the cup toward Joe, who smells it. Caffeine. He shakes his head, and Mac pulls it back. How come so friendly, Doctor? I saw something, Joe. It means that I'm going over the records that Mendel gave me. And looking at the uh, the angiogram and the EKGs. 
I saw something that doesn't exactly fit. It's like looking at one of those what's wrong with this picture puzzles on the Sunday funnies, you know? It's something I've seen or read. It's not right. Damn if I know what it is. What are you going to do? Well, I'm going to tell Mendel uh, I apologize. I'm going to tell the Mingus he needs to have the triple. But there's always going to be something inside of me that's convinced I'm doing the wrong thing. Wrong for who? Wrong for Mendel. Wrong for me. Wrong for Dominguez. Mac finishes the coffee. You better get back to work. He gets up and leaves. Later in a consultation room... I don't want an operation. Mendel stares out a window. If I can get better without an operation, then that's what I want to do. I'd vote with you, Mr. Dominguez, if the facts warranted that kind of therapy, but they don't. You have a severely advanced case of coronary artery disease. I've seen the tests that Dr. Mendel has run on you, and I... I agree with his conclusions. You think I should have this bypass thing? Well, I've seen the tests, Mr. Dominguez, and I... I can't ignore what I've seen. Mac looks back at Mendel, who just closes his eyes. Later, as Mac writes notes and eats a sandwich, Joe enters the room he's in. You got a minute? Sure. Come on in. I won't keep you long. I want to leave something with you. And I need a couple of papers. I've done about all I can with the visiting hours, Alan. No, I'm not talking about that. Won't be necessary anymore anyway. You spoke with your wife. I didn't say anything we both didn't know already. I just said it out loud. She's doing okay. I think. Well, how are you doing? Tough duty for both of you, huh? Yeah, for sure. Anyway, that's not why I'm here, and that's not what the baby's are about. Mac leans back in his chair. Go. Law nurse said that I might be discharged Wednesday. Is that right? Yes, it is. You'll be with the outpatient rehab program. Can I stay another day? Assuming that you don't need my bed for somebody really sick. Why? I mean, what's the point? The point is that Dominguez is being operated on Thursday morning. And the little guy is scared to death. He could use a friend. And if I could stick around another day, I might be able to be of help. No. Why? Because he won't be going back to your room. He'll be going directly to the cardiac post-op unit, and he'll probably be there the better part of a week. Can I watch the operation? Moral support kind of thing. Ye gods, Hamill. No. The man's under anesthesia. Your moral support wouldn't be worth a zip. Nice thought, though. Well. Now, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I started out to be a reporter before they got me into this financial gig. Joe Sitz. And I've been asking questions and making notes since I got here. You writing a book? No, that's not my thing. But one thing I noticed, and don't get mad. Max Miles. Is that this place isn't run for the patients. It's run to make doctors' lives easier and the nurses' lives easier. Sheep dip. That's sheep dip. Maybe, maybe not. But anyway, I made out a list of suggestions. Improvements. He unfolds some paper and drops it on the table. Use it in good health. Then stands. For people who are in poor health. 
Joe goes to the door. Hello. Thank you. Go sock you at the lieutenant. Unmend? Untake him. He opens the door and leaves. Mac looks at the list. Later, in street clothes, Joe gathers his things to check out. Dominguez lies in bed nearby. Your girlfriend coming to pick you up? Yeah, do any time. I'm gonna miss you, man. Hey, I'm gonna be in the outpatient program. I'll be here three, four times a week. You ever think of dying? Joe turns to him. Smirking, Joe steps closer. I'm not legal, you know. What does that mean? In this country, I'm not legal. My name ain't Dominguez. It's Herrera. Guillermo Herrera. You remember that, okay? Okay. Why is it so important? Something happens to me. I want you to make sure that they put the right name on the stone. Nothing's gonna happen. But if it does, you'll be here tomorrow to make sure they get it right, okay? Joe shakes his head, uncomfortable. Well, I, I, I don't think St. Clair will let me. Please, man. It means something to me. Please. Joe nods and smiles a little. I'll be here. At night by the St. Clair's pool, Mac's wife reads. Allowing conjugal visits between spouses when one's been in the hospital for over a week and their physical condition permitted. Already goes on all the time. You're kidding. Not officially, of course. But the nurses generally know what's happening when a husband and wife ask not to be disturbed. They tend to look the other way. Mm. Well, why do I make it official then? Because Mendel would have a stroke. And the board, all of whom are overworked, would have to be reminded what the purpose of a conjugal visit is. They kiss. Well, given the choice between being a patient in your hospital and a prisoner in a Mexican jail, I think I know which one I choose. Which one? Who's <laughs> <laughs> that? Mac looks back to the house. Yeah. There's some people out front to see you. The guy says his name is Hamill. Okay. The little boy walks off. Mac gets up from his chair, and his wife follows. Later on couches... Dominguez asked me to be there for Pete's sake. I could not say no to the poor guy. No, of course not. Not after all he's done for you. Standing sentry duty and whatnot. Mac's wife brings a coffee tray. Striving for cardiovascular benefit. Denise laughs beside Joe. Could we please change the subject? <laughs> Denise, would you like to help me with the cake? Absolutely. <laughs> the women get up and head to the kitchen. Here you go, Joe. Mac pours coffee. You're entitled to one cup. How many are you entitled to? All I want. Rank has its privileges. I can see that. <laughs> you figured out what isn't kosher about this thing with the Mingus? 
All I found out is that your distrust of doctors is catching, even to a doctor. But you said something didn't add up. Yeah, until I can specify what that something is, that's about all I've got. It's an unfounded charge that could ruin the career of a man that built that hospital into one of the finest cardiovascular units within a thousand miles. Not to mention all the doors he opened for me, the ones I couldn't do myself. Boy, you doctors sure stick together. Yes, we do. If I was a baseball player, you'd call it teamwork. If I was a reporter, you'd call it uh, professional courtesy. But since I'm a doctor, it's suspect, huh? Max sips from his cup. Can I watch the operation? Is it possible? Yes, you can. There's an amphitheater, but I... I wouldn't advise it. How come? Because I'm afraid that if you watched Dominguez being opened up, you'd have a heart attack. That's how come. Can you think of a better place? Later, rolled on a gurney, Dominguez looks up at a hallway's fluorescent lights passing over him. Waiting by station, Joe and Max sit together. Then stand as the gurney approaches. How you doing? I'm You got me a front row seat for this thing. Anything goes wrong in the other guy that goes Nothing is going to go wrong. Be a piece of cake. I was in a car accident when I was a kid. They operated on me then. Take out some ribs here. He points toward his heart. I guess this is a little more complicated. Piece of cake, I'm telling you. There's a postcard on my nightstand next to my bed. It's got the address of my family on it. Something was screwing. You're right up, tell them. Nothing's gonna happen. It does? Yeah. Don't take care. Don't worry. An elevator opens. Dominguez clutches Joe's hand as the gurney is backed in. Then Joe lets go. Joe and Mac watch. And Joe turns to Mac. He better make it. Because if he doesn't, they have to write a letter to his folks in a foreign language. Tell them that their son is dead. And put it in a way so they don't get too upset. That's going to take some kind of letter. Soon after, Dominguez is wheeled into an operating room. Okay, people, let's go. The side rails are lowered. Okay, hello, Mr. Dominguez. Okay, we're just going to scoot you over to the side of the table here. He's moved onto an operating table. Meanwhile, Mac leads Joe down some stairs into the amphitheater. You've ever seen an operation before, though? You've been in an operating room before? They step past other observers looking down through windows. Then sit. Okay. Mac looks at Joe. Now, assuming that you don't pass out at the first sight of blood, just ask me anything you want to know. Just give me a play-by-play. Mac nods. I don't understand a thing that's going on down there. Like, what are they doing down there now? Edwards. The anesthesiologist. He's probably telling him what to expect to feel when he starts administering the anesthetic. 
Max switches on an intercom speaker. Once that's done, once you're a little closer to being ready, I'm going to give you something. I'm going to ask you to start counting backwards from 100. Chances are you'll probably get to about 91. Next thing you know, you'll wake up in a cardiac surgical unit. That clear? Joe switches it off. Poor, terrified human being. Who is Mendel? He's not going to open. What? Don't get bent out of shape, animal. It's all very ethical. We're done all the time. Mendel will be here for the actual bypass and the selection of the veins from the leg. But the opening and prepping of the surgical field will be done by the rest of the team. Who are second stringers. Who are as qualified as human beings can be. I never know the circumstances surrounding this operation, but that procedure is not out of line. What is? Down in the operating room. Mr. Dominguez, I'm going to give you a little oxygen now. Put a mask over your face. You won't be frightened. You're going to get a blast of air now. It's going to help you relax. And here it comes. The mask is held over his nose and mouth. Above, Joe switches the intercom back on. The mask is removed, and the anesthesiologist stands to continue preparation. Soon after, a thick tube comes from a corner of the patient's open mouth. With Dominguez's chest now bare, a member of the team daubs a yellow-brown substance down the length of his breastbone. That's some kind of disinfectant? Max stares down, distracted. The stuff they're putting on him, is that some kind of disinfectant? He had ribs. What? The guy in the angiogram. And the x-ray I looked at, he had all of his ribs. Mac jumps up and runs for the door as Joe stands. Then follows him out. In his scrubs, Mendel taps on a window to the operating room and points to his wrist. A member of the team looks over a screen at the prep work, then holds up ten fingers three times. Mendel turns away and steps toward a sink. Meanwhile, Mac looks through shelves of tape and files and pulls out the tape he'd viewed. He strides quickly into a hallway and down it. Joe opens the door, and when he spots Mac walking by, he follows him into another room. 
Now I know I'm just a layman. Do you mind telling me what in the hell is going on around here? Get the lights. As Mac loads the tape into the player again, Joe turns off the lights. In 1953, his record said that he was in a car accident. They watch the tape. And two of his upper ribs were surgically removed as a result. That's not him. It's not him. Look, will you tell me in? This is an angiogram. He ejects it. That's what had me convinced that a bypass was a necessary procedure. And Mendel gave me somebody else's angiogram. He hurries out with the tape, and Joe again follows. In the operating room, procedure preparations continue. A surgeon raises his head to the intercom microphone. Dr. Mendel, we're about 10 minutes away. Washing up in the scrub room, Mendel presses an intercom button with his arm. Thank you, Doctor. Keep me posted. He returns to the sink. Mac and Joe walk down a hall, then stop. This is my job. You stay here. He leaves him outside the amphitheater. Stepping inside, Joe looks down through the windows to the operating room, where work is obscured by a work light. He walks down the steps, then around the other observers to his place, and looks down again with trepidation with a better view of the work. He turns away. Mac bursts into the scrub room. This is a sterile press. Doesn't matter. It doesn't? No. Not as long as you agree to cancel that bypass on Dominguez. Mendel wears a surgical mask. I'm sure you have your reasons, but I don't want to hear them. Because he doesn't need a bypass, Doctor. And every second that he's under anesthesia, his life is being risked needlessly. And I'm terrified that maybe you're well aware of it. He takes off the mask. I beg your pardon. Mac holds up the tape. He's got his name on the label, but it's not his angiogram. Well, maybe some names got mixed up. Maybe. Hopefully that's what happened. But either way, he doesn't qualify for this kind of procedure. In your opinion? Doctor! Max steps toward him and stares him down. Are you going to perform a triple on the basis of a wrong angiogram? Almost ready for you, Doctor. He's in good shape. Mendel goes to the intercom. Thank you, Doctor. He turns to Mac. That operation can't take place. I won't allow it. You won't allow it? St. Clair, will you grow up? His heart is strong enough to take it, but he doesn't need it. That's unnecessary surgery, which is unnecessary risk. St. Clair, you and I go back a lot of years, and there's an oath that goes back a whole lot farther. You try to stop this operation, you'll never practice medicine in this hospital again. And if you go ahead with it, you'll never practice it anywhere. So help me God. Mendel's expression softens. Medicine. Medicine, my angry young colleague, is just a little bit more than aspirin, band-aids, and bedpans. Medicine. Whether you like it or not, or whether I like it or not, is a business. Cash and carry, pay on delivery. X number of dollars buys you an operation. That operation buys you life. Additional days, months, years of sucking in air and blowing it out again. But there's a lot more than the human patient we have to concern ourselves with. You don't see it, do you, Sinclair? There's another patient. 
medicine itself always needs attention. New equipment, new procedure, new research. And you have to go out there like some imbecile song and dance man. Go to dinners, celebrity fundraisers, foundations, government agencies. Hey, look what I got, folks. A nuclear medicine unit just opened up. A new vascular treatment wing. We do the best pulmonary function tests going. We do better bypasses in St. Mary's, more kidney transplants in Kennedy Memorial. Write us a check. Give us a buck. Please, give us a break. Please. He holds out a hand. Arms. And he drops it. He turns away. I'm so tired. Then lowers his head onto his arms, <laughs> leaning against the door. <laughs> Max steps to the intercom and switches it on. Doctors, this is Dr. St. Clair. To cancel the surgery, Dr. Mendel is not feeling well. Well, okay, doctor, we'll close now. Uh, shall we reschedule? Joe listens. He shuts off the amphitheater intercom, and Mac turns to the sobbing Mendel. Another day, Joe jogs slowly on an outdoor track. Setting down a book, Denise checks a stopwatch. He jogs around a curve, then past her. When you get to the water fountain, check your pulse and take a one-minute break. Joe waves and runs on. Denise returns to her book. Morning. Mac jogs by. Well, hi. Mac smiles. As Denise watches, he catches up with Joe, who's standing checking his pulse. Good morning. Mac stretches. Oh, yeah. I'm here every morning. First time I ever saw you. What's up? Digging for clams. Always best at low tide. Tide's really low this morning. Funny. Joe starts off again. Real wet. Hey. What? Aren't you supposed to rest for a minute? Oh, yeah. He walks as Matt keeps stretching. The reason why I'm here this morning is that I was at a meeting at the hospital late last night. Mendel resigned. Good. I'm sort of taking his place. How do you sort of take his place? Well, they offered me the whole thing, but I turned it down. I figure that's two jobs, really. It's what got Mendel into buying in the first place, always wearing two hats at the same time. I told him I'd like to find a guy who knows about money, knows about the financial community, who could share that half of the job. A guy with whom I could uh, share the responsibility of running that place. You got any candidates? Yep. Max steps toward him. What's the pay like? Uh, probably not as much as you'd make at the newspaper. Uh, how did I get into it? That just kind of uh, came into my head. Anyway, 
if it was you we were talking about, there's no question you'd make more money at your old job. The old job, of course, being one of the factors that put you in the hospital in the first place. In charge of expenditures, money, logistics? With one proviso. What? If you ever at any time countermand any order given by any doctor in that hospital, I'll feed you cholesterol cocktails until you croak. How about one proviso on my end? Go. Patient has a complaint. Complaint of any kind, he comes to me. Not to the doctor, not to the nurse, but to me, a guy who's been there. A guy who knows how scary three o'clock in the morning can be in that place. I can live with that. But can you live with me? Matt checks his watch. Time's up, Hamill. Grinning. Joe starts back onto the track. And Mac follows. Joe jogs at a slow pace. Mac jogs beside him, bringing his usual pace down. They run together in slow motion on the beachside track. Mac looks at Joe, who looks back. They face forward again, smiling, then laughing. Produced by Jerry Thorpe and William Blinn. This described version of the Lazarus Syndrome was produced for Movies for the Blind. Cast. Mac, Louis Gossett Jr. Joe, Ronald Hunter. Mendel, E.G. Marshall. Mrs. St. Clair, Sheila Frazier. Denise, Lara Parker. Dominguez, Renee Enriquez. Mrs. Hamill, Peggy Walton Walker. Associate producer, Michael A. Hoey. Music composed and conducted by John Rubenstein. Film editor, Byron Chudnow. Unit production manager, John Zane. Technical advisors, Walter D. Dishel, M.D., Chris Hudson, R.N. Sound, William Randall. Sound editing, Echo Film Service, Inc. Executive in charge of production, Ted Zachary. And that was The Lazarus Syndrome. So Mac and Joe jogged off into a TV series of the same name the next year, but it only lasted for five episodes. Strangely, one of the most memorable TV roles for Ronald Hunter, who played Joe, was on the other side of the fence as a doctor. On an episode of The Golden Girls, in which he's called in when the other girl suspects Sophia is having a heart attack. To find out more about the movies, about description, and how to subscribe, go to the blog, moviesfortheblind.com, where you can also find out about this podcast, Creative Commons License. The movies are from the Internet Archive, so please support universal access to human knowledge by visiting and donating at archive.org. Thank you for downloading and for listening. Be back a little bit next week. Take care. Take care.